Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. Come on, let's give it up for Easter. The power of the grave that is empty. Man, it is so good to see you. Welcome to church. You happy to be here? Yeah, nudge your neighbor, tell him I'm excited. Tell him that that was not exciting. If you're watching at home, I hope you have more excitement with you and whoever's in the room with you right there, because that, uh, that, that, uh, I hope you're, you're excited to be in church. Well, welcome. Uh, we are gearing up for significant things, because we believe God is always up to something. We're in the middle of what God is doing, but he's always preparing us and uh, moving forward. We're glad you're here and uh, a part of uh, church with us today. I hope you have your, your green shoes with wings on. And uh, if you don't know what that is, we kicked off this series called Getting Ready to Run. And this has been our desire that we would run with the authority and power that we have in Jesus Christ. Because how many know we are champions in Jesus' name because of what he's made possible? Is there anybody who's an overcomer in the room today that you have overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony that our God is victorious? And so we run with power and authority. And as we run in that authority, we are able to bring hope into difficult places. The church ought to be in a place that we are running forward with power and authority so that when we go, we have, we have peace in our feet. Every place we go, that we can bring peace. The Bible says that, that our feet are made ready with the gospel of peace. And uh, the gospel of peace is, is able to bring hope. We're not running with, with feet that tell people how bad they are, how condemned they are, how hopeless they are. We're running with feet to say, you might be in a difficult situation, but there's a God who delivers and restores. There's a God that in him, there's no condemnation. The sins are gone. The past is gone. We are made new in Jesus. How many are thankful for the good news of the gospel? That we have been, our feet have been made ready with the gospel of peace, that our, that our mouth would go with the encouragement and the word of God, and that our hands, we would run with healing in our hands, that like the river that flowed out of Ezekiel, when Ezekiel spoke of the temple in Ezekiel's vision, he said that water went out from the temple, and everywhere it went, it got deeper and deeper, and every place it touched, dead things came to life. I pray that we would be the church in this hour, that everywhere we go, everything we touch, everything we speak would cause dead things to come to life in Jesus' name. How many believe this is the church that God has called to rise up in our hour and in this day? that we would be that church in our world, bringing hope and encouragement, redemption. And so uh, this morning, I wanna continue in this. I I wanna invite you to join me in 1 Timothy chapter six. While you're turning there, let me uh, draw back to our anchor verse. This is the verse we've been using through the series. We kicked off with this uh, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. And and I wanna look at this verse as you're turning there today. Uh, We've talked about our need to run. We've talked about the message we need to run with. Today, I wanna talk about the practical aspect of being able to run without tripping. God help us not get tripped up in the, in the process, that we would run without tripping. Listen to what it says in 1 Kings 18. I want, I want us to look together at 1 Timothy 6, but let me just reference this verse that we've been using through this series. The Lord gave special strength to Elijah. How many are thankful for the special strength that comes from God? The Lord gave special strength to Elijah. Elijah tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. This is what we've been basing this series ready to run. 
that we've been basing this off of, that God help us to run with special strength. And what we said is that Ahab represents the world. Ahab was an evil king. The world is evil. The world is falling apart. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The world, or the Ahab in the chariot represents the world and evil moving at a fast speed. There's no doubt evil is running rampant in our land and in our world. There's no question that occurs, but we don't need to stop and talk about how evil the world is, we can run with a greater strength. And evil might be going at a pace, but God will give us a strength to run even faster, to go even further, to do even more, that the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of this world. But I want you to notice the the two aspects here of this scripture, that God gave special strength and Elijah tucked his cloak into his belt. This is both the spiritual and the practical that it's both spiritual and practical that are in operation and working together. God gave special strength, that's spiritual. But notice what Elijah did. He practically tucked his coat, not just practically, he literally, but he, he practiced this, 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 this work, this process. He tucked his cloak into his belt. Why? Because if he's gonna run, God will give him strength to run. But if he doesn't put things in his proper place, he'll trip along the way. And so the practical aspect of putting things in their proper place so that we can run with effectiveness. If all we are is spiritual, then we'll just keep running and never stop. And how many know that you've met some people who are spiritual and you you wonder if they've even been on the planet and you wonder if they even know what year it is because they're so spiritual, right? They're so spiritual. Everything's so spiritual. The Lord is good. Things are, it's just, everything is so spiritual. And if you're so spiritual, you never stop running. But if you're all practical, then you never know what the finish line is. You never know when to stop because the practical side is I can do things, but if I have to recognize that I can't do everything and I need God's strength, I do what I can, but I have to trust God to do what I can't. And how many know those work together? That it's the practical and the spiritual that we put together, that we allow this process, it's both that we would run with the spiritual strength of God, but also the practical steps of tucking, tightening our belt, putting things in their proper place. And so I want to look at this practical aspect today in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Why don't you stand with me and let's look at this word together as we get practical. Just tell somebody today it's going to be practical. And if you have to say, what's that mean? We'll tell you later. (laughs) Here's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 9. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. They have wandered or they've tripped up along the way. They've, they, they've tripped and instead of the true faith, they've, they become come sideways and they've tripped in the process. Verse 11, but you, Timothy, you are a man of God. So run from these evil things, pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Let me say over you today, you are a godly son, a godly daughter, a godly person of God. You are of God. So run from the evil desires and the evil things of this world and pursue the righteousness and the hope and the love and the faith that God has for us. May we run and not be weary in Jesus' name. Father, this is our prayer. I pray, God, that you'd help us to be practical. God, help us to hear your word and to apply what you wanna speak for your glory in Jesus' name. If you agree with that today, say amen. You may be seated and on your way, tell somebody, tighten your belt. Tighten your belt. Let let me just leave it at this. That's the message I wanna, the title I wanna share from today is tighten your belt. And let me just say, if you run and your belt's not tightened, that's something we don't wanna see. 
So for all practical, let's just start out practical right there. Don't run with loose pants, okay? Tighten your belt. I wanna, I wanna look today in, in this aspect of making sure that we are in a place of running effectively. The Bible says in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God. One of the pieces that Paul talks about as a piece of the armor is the belt of truth. He says, put on the belt of truth. And so the significance is this, is that the belt of truth is, is what holds things in proper place. I love that Elijah, when he was described by Ahab, uh, one of the servants came to Ahab and said, we found Elijah. And Ahab, who was an evil king, says, how do you know it was him? And the servant described him. He was a hairy man with a belt. How is that your description? How do you know it was him? He was hairy and he had a belt on. And so Elijah was just known as he always wears a belt. And the significance of someone in that culture always wearing a belt is that they're always ready to, to move, to run, to go forward. They're always ready to go with truth. And the only way you can run is if you have a belt to hold things in their place. Because if you try and run and you've not put things in their proper place, you'll run and you'll get tripped up along the way. God help us to run with truth, not in culture, not to please people, not for what's popular, but what is the truth of God's word? To run with truth and love, grace and truth together, knowing God's purpose that we can run effectively, that if we run and we move forward, that we allow ourselves to be held together by what is truth. There's a lot of things that we could dis discuss practically from a practical standpoint of what we need to put in place before we run, but I want to talk about the most talked about subject that Jesus hit in the Bible, and that's money. That money needs to be put in its proper place if we're going to run. Now, I know there's already some people right now, they're like, I knew it, the church just wants my money. And I know that if you think it's all about money, and let me just say to you right off the bat, the church does not need your money. We had our business meeting last week. By the grace of God, we are above budget. We've seen things happen. We are in a situation where all the bills are paid. All the missionaries are being resourced by our, our, our commitments and all that we're doing. We're doing local ministry. Things are going forward. Things are happening by the grace of God and to the glory of God. Things are in place, and we give God praise for his provision. How many know he's a God who provides and he's faithful? The church doesn't need your money, but in order for the kingdom of God to advance, it needs stakeholders. In order for the church of God, the kingdom of God to advance, it needs stakeholders. Why? Because in the kingdom, the economy is people. It's relationships. And how do we reach people except by being those who ourselves are reached? And part of reaching people is putting our money in the proper place because Jesus said this in Matthew chapter six, you can't serve both God and money. You have to pick one. You can't serve materialism of this world and you can't serve God at the same time. You have to serve one and one has to be in the proper place in order to serve the other. So disciples and followers of Jesus Christ are people who need to handle their money well. Thank you. <laughs> no, we don't talk about money. We just talk about spiritual things. Uh, money is spiritual. I mean, money is so spiritual because the number one fights and stressors in marriage. The number one stressor in marriage is money. Next is sex. Let's talk about money. <laughs> the, the number one stressor is money, and the, the, when there's stressed marriages, that leads to anxious children. Anxious children are controlled by fear, and controlled by fear causes us to be in a chaos. I think we ought to talk about money. I think we ought to talk about handling properly the things that, that are around us, that God has given us as resources, that we would handle these things properly. I know sometimes it's hard to talk about money and you think in the church, the church just wants the money. And let me just remind you that before we think 
It's something that it offends people to talk about money. Let me just honor you because I'm sure then if it offends you to talk about money, I'm sure the last job you took, you said to them, I don't care what you pay me. Just give me whatever you want. I'll work. No, you didn't. I bet when you went and looked at that car, you said, you know what? I want that car. And they come out and they're like, well, it's going to come. No, no, no. No, talk about money. Don't talk about money. Just give me what I want. No, you talked about money. Why? Because money, to not talk about money is to not manage well, to not have good stewardship. Why do we think like God wants us to steward and manage everything out there, but in the church, it's a free-for-all? Quit compartmentalizing your life as if that's spiritual and this isn't spiritual. Everything you do is spiritual. Everything we do is spiritual. My marriage is spiritual. Raising my children is spiritual. The way I do my job is spiritual. The way I neighbor and the way I interact with my community, it's spiritual. Everything I do is spiritual, including how I handle my money. And in order for us to be able to run and not get tripped up, and I know sometimes that already trips people. We don't wanna talk about money, but we have to. Jesus did. It was the number one topic he used to illustrate the kingdom of God and talked about how to handle resources. He talked about money more than he talked about faith. He talked about more money more than he talked about how to love people. Why? Because the way you handle your resources makes it able and free for you to love people and to have faith. Because if you're controlled by money, how many know it's hard to operate in faith? And if you're controlled by money, it's hard to be free to love because you're always controlled by fear, consumption, and protection. God wants you to have your money in the right place so that you can live with confidence, courage, and strength. That you don't have to worry. When things are in their proper place, I don't have to worry about what lurks in the shadows. I don't have to worry about what's behind the bend and what's about to come because we know that God being the one who is our provider, that he gives us the ability to move things forward, that we would allow ourselves to run and not get tripped up. So let me give you this, this, how does tripping begin to happen? Here's how we begin to trip and sometimes don't realize it that the tripping begins for most people when we begin to say one thing, but yet practice another. When we have created a comfort zone and a place of, of, just, of just casual expectation that we can say we trust God, but then we give ourselves permission to not fully practice the trust we say. It's always a danger when we, we can begin to allow ourselves to do or to say one thing, but not fully practice what we say. How many have found out and lived life long enough that actions speak louder than words? Hey, you can say what you intend to do, but show me your actions. You can say what you're going to do, but show me what you're gonna do about it. You can tell me how aware you are of what needs to change and what needs to do, but until you have actions to your awareness, you can talk all you want because actions speak louder In words, you tell me you trust God, but your actions and the way you manage and the way you do things, they don't line up. And how many know when things don't line up, you start to wobble, lose balance, and you trip up. But when we allow ourselves to bring things into alignment, as followers of Jesus Christ, we we, we need to be careful that when we say we trust God, it's literally written on our money, in God we trust, that we handle our resources in a way that we really do trust God. Because if we say we do, but we practice something different, how many would agree something's out of balance and the more it's out of balance, something's gonna trip. Something's gonna be unsustainable in the process that we trust God. I wanna make this real practical. So in in our series, here's why this becomes so so practical. You and I cannot run with healing into a broken world when we don't first run with trust to a God who provides the healing. 
We cannot run with healing into a broken world if we don't first run with trust to the God who provides the healing. How effective can we really be to say we wanna bring the hope of Jesus to the world, but we've not yet fully trusted him that we can trust him to provide for us? Do you realize the contradiction there? I believe that God can heal marriages. I believe God can heal broken homes. I believe God can heal those things, but I haven't yet trusted God with my finances. How many know that's a problem? That I trust God wants to do something, and until we are at a place that we come into this alignment, and again, I'm saying this sincerely, the church does not need your money, but the kingdom of God to advance needs more stakeholders. And here's what stakeholders are. Stakeholders are those who say, I am convinced, I believe, I'm in, I know that he's real, I know he's true, I know he's the hope of the world, therefore I'm all into what he says. I'm running into what he says. And when I become all in, guess what happens? God gets more of my resources. But what I've learned in my years is the more I trust God with my resources, he has a way of providing more resources in the process. It's just the, it's the kingdom of God, the principle. You reap what you sow. Now, if I know it in the natural, if I plant something in the ground, I will get not what I fully uh, can, can always calculate, but I know I'm gonna get something from the ground because I planted and the seed that went in single is gonna come out and produce more. How much more the economy of heaven? God is the one who created the whole thing of agriculture. God created the seed to do what the seed does. And the one who created the seed to do what the seed does has an economy in heaven that knows how to create things to do what he sent them to do. That he'll, he said his word went forth and it would not return empty. Do you know what his word is? His word is like a seed that we put in our heart to operate and manage everything we do. And if that seed falls on good soil and we cultivate and we allow that seed to take root, we honor and trust God, guess what happens? There becomes a return and a, a produce that comes forth that we see the provision and the blessing of God. I want you to, to see this today that we need to line up. If we're gonna bring healing into our world, then it's gonna have to line up with being able to trust the one who provides the healing. If we get good at doing this back and forth, it, it's called being a, a fraud, fake, or in the church world, a hypocrite. I've heard people say, well, I don't wanna go to that church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. And um, you go to work with hypocrites. You go to the, the store with hypocrites. There's hypocrites all over the place. We're all at a place of learning how to become less fake and more real. We're all learning how to become less fake and more real. I was in my 30s when I had to confront insecurities and I had to realize, man, I'm being more fake than I am real. As a 30-year-old pastor. But you know what that is? It's the grace of God to create and work and, and, and challenge and bring us into a place that we're all at a place of, let's be real. If anybody put a microscope over us and looked at us, if you wanna find something wrong in my life, can I tell you, you'll find it. And if you want a shortcut, ask my wife. <laughs> if you, I mean, save your time, save your trouble. If you want to put a microscope, you'll find it. The problem is we look for a microscope to justify why we should defend and cover ourselves. Well, you know, I don't give to that church because that church, man, they got some bad people in there. I don't know that the people are all that bad. It's that your heart is bad and you don't want to trust and honor God. So you're justifying and finding any reason why you can make your own decision and be your own God and be your own judge that it becomes a matter of faith and trust. And, and what I want you to, to hear is that if we try to put ourselves in a place of, of justifying why we don't trust God, how many know if he's worth trusting, then I can put my 
my, my, my hope out to him in any direction and he will provide. No matter what the climate, no matter what the weather, no matter what the situation, no matter what the people surrounding, because my hope is not in people, it's not in things, my hope is in the Lord. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but I trust in the name of the Lord our God. And according to his name, he will accomplish everything he set in motion. And I have to trust him in that. Let me, let me encourage you in this. And, and here's recognizing just falsehood. And, and, and the falsehood is this. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy in his letter, and he's basically encouraging him to look out for those who are false teachers. And here in a few verses uh, that are ahead of what we read, um, Paul is telling Timothy, a young leader in the church, be careful of false teachers. But if you have false teachers, you have false followers. And the way you start following in the wrong way is when you get good at letting what you say not line up with what you do. If you wanna know how does, how does falsehood get in, how does, how does untruth get into our heart, it's when I become good at saying one thing but not following up with my actions. If I say and make a commitment to my wife but I don't follow up with my action, how many know I have now said I'm saying one thing but I'm not doing the other so that means I'm really being fake in this moment. I know that's hard, <laughs> I'd be like, Oh, that's harsh. No, that's called truth. It, it, it's called truth will reveal. It, it, gives, it gives indication. Here's what, what Paul said to Timothy. Anyone who teaches something different from the truth is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people have always caused trouble. Their mouths or their minds are corrupt and they, their mouths are probably corrupt too, but their minds are corrupt and they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of righteousness is just a way to become wealthy. Basically, a false teacher is made up by somebody who puts on a show for personal gain. I want you to think something about me, and I want you to think it, but I don't really want to live it. I want you to perceive something about me in a situation. And so this is where falsehood comes in. And if we're going to guard against falsehood, we have to guard it right here at the door. And at the door of my heart is, God, let what I say line up with what I do. I say I trust you. And you say, well, Jason, you're making a big turn there to line this up with money. Nope, money is very practical. Jesus talked about money. And if I'm gonna say I trust God, then I need to allow my resources to be put in a place to honor God and to trust him and do what I do according to his word. Anybody agree with that today? So let me give you some truths about money, all right? Real quick, here's some truths about money. Here's number one. To, to outline our money, get our belt tightened. Here it is. Number one, money is not evil. Money is not evil. Money is not, our, not, not something that we look at and it's an evil thing. Money by itself has power, but what it does is not because it's money, it's because of whose hands it's in. It's kind of like a vehicle. Do you know vehicles cause crashes? Vehicles are evil. No, they're not. Drivers are dangerous. You know guns, guns are a problem. No, guns aren't evil. The hands that they're in are evil. If we're just being honest and we're being real, money is not evil. And so we put money in a category sometimes that money is bad. And here's the, the, the spectrum that we're on. There are those who have money and those who don't have enough money. But all oh, that God would help us to live is people who are content and have all that we need because we have enough in Jesus Christ. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned how to, have, how to have much and how to have little. I've learned to be content in every season and every situation because in every season when we trust God, he provides for us. 
Now, there is a process to trusting God and living in every moment and every season. God reveals and shows himself faithful. There are things that we've had to do in seasons of trusting God. And in trusting God, it was, I wouldn't mind having a nicer vehicle. But how many know that a stage in life, I can't afford as much because I don't have as much to work with. And so I'll buy a $2,000 Ultima that looks good on the outside, but I found out it doesn't even have a floor at the bottom. There's a reason why it flops like this and does that. But it was $2,000 because of the season and a stage in my life. It's a decision that I have to make in that moment, that it's, it's, it's using that wisdom, that time, learning to live within our means. Money is not evil. God doesn't have a problem with me having nice things. God wants me to have nice things. But here's what we have too often. We want nice things right away. You know what I've learned? And I've come to this season already. I'm, I'm, I got two kids out of the house. That wasn't, you know, we didn't kick them. Um, they went willingly and uh, we cried and it's all good because they left. I'm like, I got more money. Anyway, uh, that's a different story uh, to some degree, to some degree. Uh, uh, at a different stage. You know what I found out? My parents spoiled my kids more than they spoiled me, not because they loved my kids more, but because they had more money when my kids came along than they did when I came along. You know, I said to my mom, mom, you never took me to Disney World. We never got to have those things. We never got to have those experiences. You've never taken me on places and all those things. And mom to this day is like, well, I love them better than I love you. I mean, that's like some of the, that's how grandparents pay it, play it off. But here's the reality. The reality is I didn't have the resources I had then as I have now. Why? Because in every season, every stage, as you learn to trust God, as you manage that you trust God. One of the things is my kids left the house. I tried to encourage them. Guys, we have things today that we didn't have when you were kids. <laughs> my, my son to this day does not like all beef hot dogs. <laughs> you know why? We couldn't afford them. <laughs> I remember one time, Jared, but yeah, we bought all beef hot dogs and Jared was like, this is gross. And I'm like, buddy, we've arrived. We have all beef hot dogs. I mean, come on. <laughs> and Jared's like, this is gross. I want the stuff that's not all beef. He's like, I want the pig lips and all the other stuff. I, I, well, because he didn't know that there's something better. And so I remind my kids, hey, you're leaving the house now, but I want to remind you where mom and dad are now and where we are, you can't start where you left off. You're going to have to go back because mom and I didn't start where, where we left off. Mom and I had to be at a place where we had to trust God. We had to, we had to say to God, God, we're going to honor you. Listen, money is not evil. Money is a tool. And if you use tool proper, the tool properly, it will produce wealth in your hands. I'm at a different stage in life. And boy, you, before you say, boy, he's got a lot of money, I got more than I used to have. But here's what I've always had in every moment. My dad taught me two things growing up. He taught me to never go a day without reading the word. And he taught me to never not honor God with my tithe. Now, I was that kid that lived along Route 30 in New Oxford and Mrs. Slagle would call up and Mrs. Slagle would say to my mom, she would ring the, the phone and it was back when the phone would like vibrate on the wall. You remember that? And then it had the, and so the phone would vibrate. And so she'd pick up the phone and uh, Mrs. Slagle, hey, is Jason home? And mom would say, yeah, Jason, can you send him over? And so I'd go next door to Mrs. Slagle, knock on the door. She'd open the door. She'd say, now, Jason, I need, I need ketchup. I need bread. I need milk. See, it was a small list. It was just something she would need a couple blocks away. I would run to the store. She would give me money. I 
I found out later, I caught on, that she would always pay me for doing it. And I got excited. When she would give me a larger bill, she would sometimes say, keep the change. So when I went to get her ketchup, she's not getting Heinz. She's getting the cheap stuff. She getting, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I promise. So I would run to the store and I'd pick up the stuff for, for, for Mrs. Slagle and I'd get back to the house and I'd give her the stuff. Here, Mrs. Slagle, I'd stand there and she'd look at me and she'd smile and then she'd give me money. I'd come home and I said, Mom, I got $2. Mrs. Slagle would give me $2 to run to. That's a big deal. I mean, that's like 30 years ago. That's a big deal. $2 to run to the store a couple blocks away. Mrs. Slagle started my savings account. She gave me $2 and dad would say to me, when I made the $2, dad said, do you need change? And I learned what that meant was, do you need change? Because dad had a change drawer and dad would make change for me because dad taught me that if I got $2, then 20 cents, because 10% is what God asked for, that I'm supposed to give God 10%. So my dad taught me if I got $2, then I'm gonna have two pennies in my, two dimes in my pocket ready when I get to church because I only put two dimes and 20 cents, but it wasn't because the church needed my 20 cents. This kid needed to learn that I needed the provision and the faithfulness of God. This kid needed to learn to trust God, to trust him in seasons. And where God brought us was in seasons and stages in our life. God wants you to have wealth, but you might be at a season where God's saying, you still need to trust me. It's not because you're not wealthy. It's because you've got to learn. You know what my kids needed to learn? My kids needed to learn that when you leave the house, everything doesn't get handed to you. You're gonna have to make decisions. You're gonna have to save. You're, gonna, you're doing it. And, we're not, and we've said to our kids, we're not propping you up, but we're not gonna let you fall but we're not propping you up. Why? Because if you somehow think everything gets handed to you and you ought to just have what you have, you'll never learn how to trust God and to depend on him. That he's your provision. If he's not your provision, then government becomes your provision. Then relationships become your provision. And then you start having relationships, not because you really get along with people, you just wanna use them. And you know if you fall out, then you won't have what you have from them. And now it's all becomes, instead of having healthy relationships, it's now money-based. And it's unhealthy when we're controlled by money. I remember one, one Friday afternoon in, uh, on Kensington Circle where Jody and I lived when we first moved to Uniontown. I, I remember saying to her on a Friday, I wrote out checks back when everything was done with a handwritten check. I wrote out a check and I knew it was for a bill that was due on Monday. But I knew our tithes to honor God with our money. And I remember saying to Jody, I'm gonna hold this because I know it's due Monday, today's Friday, we don't have enough money, but I said, we're gonna give the tithe on Sunday, we're gonna give the check to the church, and I don't know how God's gonna provide, but I remember having that conversation with her. I said, we're gonna trust God. We're young youth pastors, we're living, you know, at that, that point we, uh, I don't even know if Jalen came along yet, but it, we're at a young stage in life, you know, eating not all beef hot dogs. And we're in this stage of, God, we're gonna trust you. We go to church, do what we did every Sunday, put our offering in and, and, and worship. Didn't think anything of it except knowing that we're gonna trust God. I even forgot Monday I need to pay the bill. I get home, Jody hits the mail and she shows me the mail. Here we had received that same day a check from our insurance. The insurance said that we had overpaid and they, um, they unfortunately had charged us too much in a premium and because we had overpaid, they were giving us our refund and money back. 
How many know that it came on the same day that the day that I said, God, we're gonna trust you, it was more than enough to cover what was in the mail. I remember Jody saying, we, have, we hear the stories of how God provides for everybody else. God provided for us. How many know God wants you to know he'll make you wealthy, he'll provide, he'll give and meet your needs when you honor and trust him. Is there anyone else in the room who has a story of God's provision of his coming through at just the right moment in just the right way? You know what that taught us, young, our young parents? As young parents, it taught us we can trust God. It taught us we can trust God. And guess what? God gave us more. God gave us more. And so then we started saying, God, we're gonna trust you more. Then we move into stages and places. I want you to hear today that when you trust God, you might walk through seasons that it feels like you don't have enough. In every season, when you honor God and you allow contentment, you'll always have more than you need. You'll always have enough because you'll learn how to rely on him and not on anything else. That doesn't mean I don't work hard. Doesn't mean we don't handle our finances. Doesn't mean I stay at home and be like, somebody give me money. The Lord's gonna provide in Jesus' name. No, I've got a job. I'm, I'm moving forward. I'm making decisions. I'm being practical. I'm doing what I need to do, but I'm honoring God in every step. And in every step, God is teaching me that I can trust his faithfulness. Because money's not evil. God wants you to have money. Listen to what it says in Psalm 112. Psalm 112 says this, how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere and an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. I pray that God makes you wealthy. God doesn't have a problem with you being rich and wealthy. He just doesn't want you to be controlled by your wealth. He wants you to honor him with what God has given you. Let me give you number two. Number two is this. Money is a false sense of security. Money is not evil. The love of money is evil, but money is not evil. Money is, though, a false sense of security. Be careful to not put your hope in money. There's nothing wrong with being rich and wealthy, but there is something wrong when your identity is in being rich and wealthy. You see, I'm rich. You asked me today, I'm rich. Here's why I'm rich. Not because of what's in my bank account. I'm rich because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. My association with him has made me wealthy, and all my needs are met. My association in Christ has caused me to have wealth. Now, here's the problem. My wealth needs to be by association and not by identity. Because when wealth becomes your identity, let me say it this way. Wealth is a condition of who you are. It's not who you are. Wealth is a condition of who you are. Here's my condition. The condition is I am wealthy on this condition that I am associated with Christ. It's my, it's my relationship with him that he's provided me. But identity, if my identity is in wealth, then I, I allow myself to think I got what I got because I did what I did. Now wealth becomes my identity. And how many know if it's your identity, that's called pride. Now you're wealthy because I earned it, I worked for it, I did it. You say, well, I'm wealthy because I earned it. You worked your butt off. Uh, can I remind you who made that butt? <laughs> He said, I did what I did. I, I, I expended my energy. I did what, can I remind you who gave you energy that all the earth is the Lord's, that in him we live, we breathe, we move, we have our being. You're just a pile of dirt and water and mud, honestly, without the spirit of God. You were made out of dirt. You're gonna go back to dirt. It's the breath of God that he breathed into you that gave you what you had. So don't think it's all because of you. The wealth belongs to the Lord. Now you say, well, there are evil people who are wealthy. That's Okay. Because the Bible says that the wealth of the ungodly is stored up for the righteous. It all belongs to God anyway. 
God knows how to transfer those things. Why? Because the wealth and everything it is belongs to God and God will not allow anything to move according to his provision, his promise. You say, well, it looks right now like the, 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 those who are prideful and wealthy get everything they want. Oh, look at that for now. But how many know that they're hidden behind their own wall of security and that wall will never be high enough to keep them? Because money cannot be your security. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 18, it says, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. Who is your identity? Who's your fortress? The name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and they are safe. The rich, however, think that their wealth is, they think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be at a high wall of safety. I've arrived, I'm here. But here's what the Bible says. Haughtiness or pride comes before a fall. Now, most people who aren't even in church know that scripture. That scripture that pride becomes comes before a, call, before a fall, that if you're too proudful, it's gonna knock you down, that pride will come before a fall, but humility, the Lord will lift up. And here's what the pride is. He's putting this in, in place. He's saying those who, who trust in the Lord, the Lord is a strong tower, they can run to him. But the wealthy who think their identity is in wealth and they got what they got, they get what they deserve, they've earned it, it's all about them. They use money to push themselves around. They, the money is about them. The Bible says they build up a wall that will not be high enough to keep them that that wall will crumble, the wall will fall. Your money is not, uh, money is a false sense of security. Let me give you the last thing. The last thing is this, money is a real indicator. If you wanna know what's really going on inside your heart, look at how you spend your money. I, um, I brought for an illustration here, um, I brought money to represent what we all have and we all have the same amount, not by numbers, but by percentage. We all have 100% of whatever we have. And you say, well, you got more than I have. Yeah, but I didn't always have what I have now. I always had the same percentage. I've always had 100% to work with. Now, yeah, that increased over the years. And yeah, I've added more. God has blessed us. We've added more into our, into our family income, all of that, the provision of the Lord. But I've still always had to work with 100%. That's all I've ever had to work with. You know a person by what they, how they spend their money. You'll learn of me that I value experience over things. Now, Jody and I might be a little different in this. And that's not one is wrong and one is right. I'm the guy that when I go out to eat, I'm ordering a soda with every meal I'm going out to eat. You know what Jody gets? A water. Now, there's a practical side of that. Obviously, she's healthier than me. All that's great. That's wonderful. But here's the other thing. She looks at that and says, it's not worth spending that money. And you know what, by grace, she's not looked at me and said, I can't believe you would spend that money. Which, by the way, that's called nagging. And a nagging wife is not healthy. I'm just, I'm stepping out on uncomfortable waters right here. But I'm like, okay, I'll step back again. Um, seriously, uh, don't try and control your spouse. I've been with people and I'm, oh golly, I won't say it right now. <clears throat> I'm like, gee, I come home sometimes like, honey, I'm, I'm so glad I'm married to you. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm married to you. Uh, and, and so we have, we all have the same thing. And so Jody, get water. Why? Because she don't want to spend that amount. You know what? I will. You know why? Because every time I sit down, it's an experience for me. She's like, are we done yet? I'm like, let's sit and talk. She's like, let's move. Let's go. I don't want to sit here. Not that I don't want to. What? We have different values You'll know me, I'll use my money for experience and not things. We did not give our kids allowance growing up. Oh, I did, I gave them food and a place to live. That counts, I mean, that's really. But we didn't give an allowance, not because it's wrong to give allowance. We decided for us, it's not things, it's experience. 
So you know what our kids got? Our kids got day trips or going out or being able to go away. We created experiences. Why? Because that's what I value. So back when we couldn't afford much and it was just Jody and Jaron and I, we would have mommy, daddy, bear days. His nickname was Jer Bear. So we called it Bear Days. That's all we could afford. We took a day and we made a trip out of it. We went to Pittsburgh. Woohoo! But we made an experience and we got pictures to prove it. Why? Because we value that. You have to determine what you value. But here's what I know. My value is that God provides everything and I have to honor God with 100% of what I've got. Here's just a quick tip and we're gonna close with this. I gotta do this really quick. Let me give you a couple ideas of help with managing money. Everybody can read this. If you can't read it, it says taxes. Guess what? You get to pay taxes. Not that you're not a fun guy, but I'm gonna let you be the tax guy. So taxes on average are about 28%. I've got 100 here. So I got 28% on average that owes to taxes. 10, 20, 21, 22, 23. I got a five in here somewhere. Hurry, I don't have time. I gotta move this quickly. They're 28. Thank you. Appreciate doing business with you. Then I've got another bucket. This bucket is giving. And so when I'm giving, I already know the the, the Bible says 10% belongs to God. So there's my 10%. But I'm returning to God what belongs to him. I don't want to just be a returner. I want to be a generous person. I want to be a giver, not a returner. I want to be a giver. See, I'm a returner because it already belongs to God. And so 10% belongs to him. I'm just giving him what what he already is his. But now I want to be a giver on top. And so, you know, I believe in mission. So I'm going to give you 11%. And I'm even going to share in the vision of what God is doing in our county. So I'm going to give you 12% because my heart is generosity. So I'm going to give 12% and I want to honor God, but at least 10%. And then I've got savings. Bashan is safe. So we will give her the savings. This is what I've always encouraged my kids. When you start out, you get the job, give 10% to God and give 10% to your future. Put an equal amount, 10% every week every paycheck, put it in savings and don't touch it unless it's an emergency. And I love Jordan's question, dad, what's an emergency? (laughs) That's a fair question, fair question. Don't touch it unless an emergency. And then I've got a lifestyle. Lifestyle is how I live, the car I'm driving, the house I'm paying for, the clothes I'm wearing, the food I'm eating, it's the lifestyle. Okay, I've given to taxes, I've given to God, I've given to savings, my future, 10, 20, 30, 40. I've got 50% to live on. Let's go. The only problem is sometimes we don't live in the means. And so unfortunately this gets built on this. And sometimes we're wondering how to balance it all and how to make it all work. Now, just for the sake of this illustration, the average American today has 30% of debt unsecured debt, 30%. Now I'm not saying you do, I'm just saying on an average. And here's where we get put into. Now I've got to live on 20%, my lifestyle. Things are getting tight. Just because you're my son, I'll let you represent debt. Okay, that's good. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, that's not, just whatever, just let it go. Uh, <laughs> and so we try to figure out how do we do this and manage everything. And say, like, well, I, I can't get away from this. And so 
I gotta make up for living. How many know if you try to touch this bucket, you're in trouble? You're not touching that bucket. You're not getting 28%. Thank you very much. Appreciate taking care of my roads. All is good. Good job. I'm not touching that. So then I'm like, what do I do? Well, let's be honest. We rob from our future. You know what? I'll make change. I'll put five in there. But here's the dangerous thing. If we rob from God. If we start robbing from God, listen to what Malachi says. Malachi says, should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask how, in what way? How have you ever cheated me? You cheated me with tithes and offerings. You're under a curse for the whole nation has been cheating me. Can I tell you there's a reason why the American debt has risen? Because we've not learned how to live in trust to God. We have created our own means and we become God unto ourselves. And instead of honoring God with our money, we've honored ourselves. Debt rises. But here's what my prayer is. God, let Fayette County know a church, not just Faith Assembly, but the body of Christ, who know how to honor God with 10% at least. If every person in every church in Fayette County, let's just talk about this one, because we can't talk about someone else's house. We have to talk about our own. If everyone in this house honored God with 10%, here it is, like, oh, he wants the money. No. We're looking for opportunity. Here's what I know for a fact. If we started with 10%, by God's grace, my wife and I are at 17% being able to honor God. That's not bragging. That's me telling you, it's just a God that the more we give, he knows how to bless. It's just a God that the more we honor him, the more we trust him. That we've said God to missions and to the vision of this house and to what we're, we're leading with example. We're saying, God, we believe in what you're doing. And God has given provision. But here's what I believe, that if we all honor God with 10%, God's provision and blessing would come along and the church in Fayette County would be able to rival the welfare system around us. Instead of just giving handouts, this is not a mockery, a statement of condemnation. I'm just telling the truth. The Bible says that lazy people won't be able to eat. So here's another practical thing. Get a job. They say, well, job that doesn't make money. I don't make money. Start somewhere. My kid said, I don't want to flip burgers. If flipping burgers is all you've got, you're going to flip burgers because you got to have a job. If you don't have a job, then you're not going to learn ethics. And if you're not going to learn responsibility, you're not going to be able to honor God. And if you don't honor God, you can't dig ditches. And if you don't dig ditches, there's no way for the water of his provision to run. There's no place for that to move, but that we would allow. And here's what I believe that when we become givers, that it opens up the door and we'll run to Fayette County with great provision and great blessing. Let me say, of course, the goal is that we would be able to have less of this, but man, begin to make it less, whatever it would be. And let me just say publicly, I am so proud of you. This kid went to college 20 years later than me and came out of college with half the amount of debt that I had when I got out of college. He paid himself, worked his butt off, and did what he had to do. He paid his way through. He's got less the amount that I had 20 years ago. I'm stinking proud of you, man. Do you, do you remember that time? You, you remember that time? You remember I was taking you to middle school and we were backing out of a car that someone had given to us generously because we couldn't afford cars. So someone had given us a car. I'm taking you to middle school. 
we're backing out. And I remember saying to you, I said, Jaron, I'm gonna need new tires. You said, how much is that gonna cost? You remember that? You said, how much is that gonna cost? I'll tell you, remember that. I said, it's gonna cost $300. And you said, wow, that much money. And I said, yeah, and I'm starting to take you to school. And I said, but you know what? Let's pray that God will provide. Because at the time I'm like, that's $300. Let's pray that God will provide. And I remember taking you to school and saying, well, let's pray that God will provide. Remember that story? Now you remember. I get to my office that day. Someone who has since gone to be with Jesus called me when I got into the office. They said, Pastor, can I come by and see you? I said, sure. Their parents had passed away and a family member and they settled the accounts and everything, the inheritance and everything was done. He said, when I went to the lawyer's office, the lawyer handed me an envelope. I said, what's that? The lawyer said, it's $300 extra. It goes back to you. And so it wasn't counted in the check. So there's a separate one for $300. He said, I got to my car and I thought, Lord, I don't even need this. You just keep giving me more than I need. And he said, and the Holy Spirit said, go give it to Pastor Jason. On the same day, I said to my son, hey, let's trust God and let's believe God. You know what God did? He created a moment for me to teach my son that if you seek God and you trust God first, you honor God, you put your heart to it, you seek God with everything you've got, he'll provide, he'll make your path straight. When he came home from school or I got home from work that day, I said to him, hey, Jaron, look what I got. Not bragging, but I want you to see what my God can do. I want you to see who my God is. I want you to know the God that I serve will meet you at every place. You can trust him. You can step out in faith. And so don't get critical. Don't get cynical. Don't get judgmental. Don't get jealous. Don't tear down. Well, they got money. They're not, they think they're better. Quit talking bad about people and tearing people down. Work your butt off and honor God. Give God what belongs to him and God will bless you in return. And you'll run and not be weary. Would you stand with me today? I wanna pray and we're gonna leave because we might cause congestion in the parking lot because we are late. But I pray today, man, be encouraged. I wanna encourage you today, honor God. Let's not say we trust God and do something different. You're here today and as you leave, you can give online. You say, what goal you have? I, I have to, I have to say, trust God, 10% in the offerings as you go, whatever it would be, because it's not about money, it's about faithfulness. It's about trusting God and letting Him provide and show who He is in our lives, amen? So Father, I thank You for Your provision. I thank You that You're faithful. We declare Your faithfulness as we go. We trust You, we trust Your promise. Now God, help us to put it in action. In Jesus' name, come on, do you agree with that today? Would you say amen? Hey, God bless you. You might as well go happy because God loves a cheerful giver. Let's have the joy of the Lord be our strength and know the provision of God. God bless you. Have a great day.